Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. My name is Cameron English. This is episode 244 of Science Facts and Fallacies, joined, as always, by Dr. Liza Dunn. Hello, everybody. Liza, what's going on? Nothing. It's a weekend. It's a nice, bright, sunny I day out. I love weekends. Weekends <laughs> are the too. best. <laughs> yeah, it is, uh, it's cold and rainy here in California, finally, and I am so happy. I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I've got a very no- busy weekend. I'm uh, going to go see Old Dominion in concert tonight. Ah, which will be okay. Fun. That'll be fun. That'll yeah. be fun. That's country, right? That's country, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a relatively new country music fan. I used to be more of a classic rock and roll fan, and then pop a lot, a lot of pop stuff I like too. But uh, I've only recently started listening to country, and I actually like it a lot. So what what was the what was the deciding factor? Like, what song did you hear, or what what experience was in your your head? You're like, I like country now. Um, well, I listened to um, one man band. I heard that on the radio by Old Dominion. And it sounds much more like, you know, the Eagles kind of music as a country music, as opposed to like old fashioned country music. And then I started listening to Chris Stapleton and uh, the brothers Osborne and they're all wonderful. So it's a whole new genre that I really like. I gotcha. Okay. So you had kind of like a gateway into country. That's That sounded like, that sounded like, Oh, the school classic stuff. Well, there, everyone, you know that. That's why Liza likes country music, if you weren't prepared to learn that uh, <laughs> on this on the science podcast. But uh, let's jump into these stories. We've got three, as always. First up, uh, Twitter slash X's race to the disinformation bottom. Are we losing a valuable forum for rational discussion? Next up, Dark Money and tort lawyer-funded environmental working group launches a new campaign to scare the public about dangerous, dangerous pesticide spraying near schools. And finally, our, our good friend uh, RFK is back. RFK Jr. accuses drug companies of ignoring chronic disease and focusing on money-making infectious conditions like measles and COVID, vows to reverse NIH policies if, if elected. John Antine gets a gold star for headlines because these are, these are thorough <laughs> <laughs> and, and still catchy. That's exactly so right. Man has a gift for these. Okay. So again, uh, controversial stuff. This is controversy month here on controversy uh, month. Speaking of controversy, I would like to make a, a disclaimer. Um, in our previous podcast, I uh, mentioned that copper sulfate was uh, associated or caused uh, angiosarcoma of the liver. And when I went and looked up the information about that, because I had heard that in the past, when I went to look that up in the uh, literature, I actually couldn't find it anywhere except for in one page of one anatomy book. So I'm going to not uh, spread misinformation and retract that statement because the literature does not support it. Well, good. Thank you for doing that. And uh, we care about truth here. Like and we, we yes, and we are very, very open to saying we were wrong about something. Yeah, not me, because I'm never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm wrong all the time. That's why Liza's here, to, to catch me in real time. Yeah, I married Mr. Right, and he married Mrs. Always Right. 
(laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Okay. Okay. But in all seriousness, mistakes happen and uh, we're happy to correct them when they do. And uh, Liza caught this one and she, she wanted to make sure everyone, everyone knew that. So uh, there you go. Cause the point is to walk away a little better informed. So let's talk about this first story. This is an original to genetic literacy project. This is by Dr. Jeffrey Cabot, who is a cancer epidemiologist. He's been on the show, I want to say two or three times over the years to talk about different, uh, chemical scares and, uh, why cell phones don't cause cancer and, and so forth. So here he's sort of recounting his personal experience with, uh, it's been dubbed by, the media is the demise of Twitter. So uh, I wanted to talk about this because he's sort of giving a firsthand perspective on what it was like to be a scientist going through this transition at Twitter where you had Elon Musk taking over. So in so many words, he says, I joined Twitter in 2011 or 12, and it was this great forum. It was this useful resource because I was interacting with other other experts in my field, and then I was finding people who are experts in psychology and literature and politics and any topic under the sun, and I was following them and interacting with them. Um, and then over time, uh, and apparently this accelerated after uh, Elon Musk took, took over the company, you had, um, I, I don't know, sort of a reversion to like the the, the wild west days of social media where everything was about getting eyeballs on a post. So that meant, you know, p- publishing things that are vitriolic or mean or aggressive or just pornographic or whatever, just like whatever you could do to get eyeballs on a post that became the law of the land again on Twitter because everyone wants to make money. And that's the best way to do it. If you're just trying to get attention on your posts. And then he goes into, um, you know, some of the problems surrounding uh, a lack of gatekeepers. So one of the major changes that Musk has made is that um, if you were a verified account or you had a blue check on Twitter previously, it was because you were someone with a reputation, some some sort of a public figure or a celebrity or whatever. Um, and then this helped everyone else distinguish you from some random guy, right? So someone like Liza could have a blue check and say, hey, I'm, I'm a doctor and I have this background. Whereas some guy that, you know, wants to sell supplements and call himself doctor doesn't, doesn't get that. So um, Dr. Cabot points to that and says, it's really difficult for a lot of people now to distinguish a legitimate account that's going to give you good scientific or, uh, you know, uh, historical information or whatever. Versus someone who's just going to tell you a silly story about, you know, um, conflict in the Middle East or what, you know, what this vaccine does, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I think I think we can stop there, Liza, and, I'll, and we'll get your take here. But but again, it's interesting because he's he's saying this is what I was observing and interacting with as this was happening. Uh, so what did you think? Yeah, so I've observed a big change in Twitter, too, but I'm not entirely sure it's all for the worst. Um, I think that one of the things that I would really encourage people to do, academics and people who I think have a lot of credibility to do, is to actually get back on Twitter and try to um, balance the debate um, about controversial topics. Um, I found myself being one of the very few physicians who was pro-vaccine actually 
up in spaces discussing with people about how important vaccines were. And the reason I think that the narrative has run away is because, um, because legitimate people don't want to actually get out in front of people who disagree with them. Um, and I, I think that that's unfortunate. And I think that could offer a lot more balance to this situation on Twitter. Um, Twitter is, I personally think, probably the most important vehicle for information. Um, and, and it's, uh, if you look at all the mainstream media and the, and the news that comes out on the mainstream media, a, a huge chunk of it actually comes from Twitter posts. So they're talking about Twitter. That makes their news. They, when, they, when the media tries to leave Twitter, um, they find that they don't have any stories. So they come back to Twitter. So yes, I understand that there are controversial things that are said, um, but I actually believe that it is a free speech platform and free speech is kind of messy. And I think it's important um, to understand that, you know, Elon Musk actually has really done a huge amount to get child pornography off of Twitter um, because that was a huge problem prior to prior to his buying it. Um, and I think he's tried to um, uh, let people have a debate. Now, he's actually filed a lawsuit against Media Matters Um uh, for Monday because uh, they made an accusation about him and Twitter um, that uh, was just wildly inaccurate. Um, and I, I, I think that most reasonable people, Jeffrey Cabot's very reasonable, and most reasonable people can have a good discussion on, uh, on Twitter if you can keep them on the platform. Um, and you're right, there's a lot of stuff like clickbait, but this, this is not a new just exclusive to Twitter issue, right? We've got medical schools with anti-vaccine activists there in them. We've got medical schools that have whole departments of alternative medicine. The NIH has its own, um, own you know, uh, National Institute of, uh, uh, I can't remember the exact name, but it's alternative medicine taxpayer-funded uh, resource center. So this is not a new thing. This is just, you know, a, a different platform for this kind of stuff to be on. And I'm a big proponent of free speech, and I think that it's really important to be able to have an open scientific discussion with people you disagree with. Um, because then, in the end, I think that truth wins the day. Um, and if you leave the platform... Uh, it's unfortunate because then you only have an echo chamber on one side. And I think prior to Elon Musk, it was leaning too, too, too far to one side. And then after Elon Musk, it's starting to tip over to the other side. And the question is to try to get a balance somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, let, let me follow up on the, the point you made about, you know, fake news or nonsense, whatever you want to call it, coming from all sorts of different um sources even even gatekeepers right even, yeah even the the you know the tastemakers who want to protect us from 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 bad bad information um just and you saw this i think just the other day on twitter um john entine was interacting with a woman about the dangers of pesticides and she posted something in response to our last episode about um uh pesticides causing what was the condition was it Some, autism oh uh no, it was a uh, sperm count. Sperm count. Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yes. F fertility. And she just, she, it was a CNN article and it was, it was um, 
some, I, for, I forget now, but it was some association between uh, exposure to pesticides and fertility in men. And it was a CNN article by Sandy Lamott, who's their science reporter, or whatever. Garbage study, garbage article, absolute nonsense from top to bottom. And it took me yep. five minutes to get into the paper and see this is this is this all propaganda. Right, this, right, this is the organic food autism graph in yep. in a in a new in a new paper. Um, so I guess the point I'm making there is that. There is no, I don't know, how do I put it? There isn't like, I think you said it well, Twitter is not this uniquely poisonous source of information where all the white supremacists and all the stupid anti-vaccine people hang out. And then if you just go over to CNN or, you know, what, what, John Hopkins, yeah, <laughs> give me, give me a break, you know, um, and no disrespect to Dr. Cabot on, on that point. Um, Cause he would, I, he would certainly agree with what we're saying about. Yes. About and I can see and what he's saying. Like, I understand what he's saying, but I think that that's the reason why it's so important for real scientists and real people who've got a scientific background to double down and, and come to the platform. I mean, when I'm one of the only people, you know, talking about the benefits and safety of vaccines and how much they've contributed to the health and well-being of humans or since the 20th century on a platform that had 1.4 million people listen to it. That we need to we need to step up to the plate. We need to be we need to be in Twitter spaces. We need to be promoting scientific content and real scientific content. There, there is not a Twitter space for science at the moment. Um, and that is an avenue that we really need to start exploring because it's critically important for people to get correct information and um, understand how much science has brought to their health and well-being. Yeah, a couple more things. And Dr. Cabot doesn't deal with this in his story. I would like to get his his thoughts on it, though. But it's been confirmed now that the federal government was pressuring Twitter and other social media platforms, particularly during COVID, to censor certain posts. And one, one way we know this is true is, is this is what the Missouri versus Biden yep. uh, lawsuit Cases. is all about. And the government's defense is not, we didn't do this. It's, well, we were just making suggestions and it was for the public good. We're just trying to protect people from misinformation, right? I don't, I don't buy that argument, and neither did the, the Fifth Circuit uh, nope. Court of Appeals. No, nope, so, they didn't. So, so, in other words, that's a huge problem. You know, if, if you do anything in communication for a living, whether it's science or anything else, and you don't see the problem with the federal government going to the place online where everyone talks about political issues and cultural issues, and they're saying, take that one down, ban that account, silence this one, you know, and you can it go is. read the emails. You can go read the evidence. It's very, very striking. Um, it is. And it's a slippery slope yeah. because, you know, at, you know, when it starts out with something that you think is, you know, important that not does that misinformation doesn't get propagated. Um, and then it gets taken down. Somebody else can go and say, well, what you're saying is misinformation and that can get taken down too. Now, if it's something that's inciting violence, if it's hate speech, if it's all that kind of stuff, I think that, or once again, anything that's, you know, destructive to kids, I think that that kind of stuff needs to be really moderated and taken off the radar. Sure. But if it's a scientific discussion um, and one side it's not one side of that discussion isn't approved. And I'm not talking about flat earthers, but, you know, you shouldn't be taking 
taking a real scientific discussion offline um, because I think it's important for people to understand uh, and make their own decisions. People are not stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Freedom comes with trade-offs, I think, mm-hmm. is the unfortunate reality. You know? Yep. And the and way I, it would go ahead. And the best way to combat misinformation is to go present the evidence of your on, on your side. Um, you know, I think that uh, I think that it's it's unfortunate how far the anti-vaccine movement has progressed, partially because we have not been willing to step up to the plate to discuss it. Yes. Well, speaking of nonsense, let's talk about our next story. This is by Amanda Zalucki. Uh, writing at Ag Daily, and she's talking about uh, our our good friends and colleagues at the Environmental Working Group, uh, creators of the the Dirty Dozen list of pesticides on fruit and vegetables. <laughs> Comes out every spring, scares everyone to death. CNN covers it totally uncritically, as do a bunch of other news outlets. Uh, I, and apparently, they've launched this new interactive heat map or something. I don't know exactly what they're calling it, Liza, but they are saying um, there are 4,000 schools in the United States uh, that are within 200 feet of farm fields. And this is bad news bears because there's pesticides on farms. And so <laughs> our kids apparently are in jeopardy here. So uh, Amanda is, um, she's a farmer and she, she, she's one of the great people who's gone from growing food for a living to writing about it as well. Just yes. to get, some good info out into the public discourse. So before we go on, the story is called um, dark money and tort lawyer funded EWG launches new campaign to scare public about dangerous pesticide spraying near schools, really short story, but every paragraph packed with really good information. So she just goes through and she just, she just demolishes this really, really quickly. But, um, and again, you can get, to, uh, to the specifics of this, but her basic argument is, so you're just telling me that there are schools that are relatively close to, a farm. <laughs> to, to, to farms. You don't, you don't know what, which pesticides they're spraying, how many, uh, if they're even spraying, if you know, are, are, the yeah. fi- are the fields if, being cultivated? <laughs> yeah. Are they buffer strips? Are, you know, or what are they, you know, exactly. So not only that, but Let's just take it to this next step further. Um, and I might have mentioned this in a tweet. Um, if So if being close to a farm is dangerous because of pesticides, how do the schools manage their cockroaches or lice outbreaks or, you know, ticks or, um, you know, foods, food sanitation, make sure you don't have flies landing on in your cafeteria um, that carry Shigella so you, and Shigella. Eat the flies. <laughs> eat the flies for protein. <laughs> yeah, except for Shigella will really kill you. So oh. it, ten, 10 little microorganisms can give you a terrible bloody diarrhea. So um, I would advocate for um, pest control in schools. And uh, because I think it's important for public health. And when kids have lice outbreaks, you know how that goes through schools, right? So you're going to treat that with a a chemical to get rid of the lice. And these things carry diseases. So so why uh, say that it's a problem to be close to a farm and then not understand that for public health purposes, you need to use 
pesticides in schools. Yes, common sense. And I think everyone understands that, you know, like uh, if your kid barfs on the floor, you're going to clean it up and you're going to get the Lysol and you're going to power That's wash. a chemical, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, or just, just common bleach, right? I use it all the time. Don't drink it, everyone. Don't put it on your skin. Don't. But, you know, and it doesn't cure COVID. It does not. <laughs> it does not. But it's really good for cleaning up tough to, tough to clean stains. Yep. <laughs> you know, and it's highly toxic. You shouldn't, you know, if you're exposed to too much of it, it's bad for you. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have uh, important uses. That's right. So it's, re- it's really weird, you know, and, and we've talked about this before, how people have to partition these contradictory ideas that they hold. And this is one of them is, you know, I'm going to be freaked out about a farm that may or may not use pesticides near my kid's school. Um, and then I'm going to go use this highly toxic, highly concentrated chemical to, you know, clean my driveway or whatever. It's, uh, yes. it's kind of, it's kind of <laughs> weird. Um, oh, let's talk about, um, the, they've got some heavy hitters involved in this campaign. So Senator Cory Booker, who is just a deeply confused individual, I, mm-hmm. I do feel sorry for him. I feel like I, and, and Kevin, when Kevin was still doing the show, he made a comment, something to the effect of like his wife, I guess is really deep into all of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's just kind of like, he's been bamboozled every day as long as he's been married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, then he knows, then he knows Carrie Gillum and he knows environmental working groups. So he, from all angles, this poor guy is just like he's surrounded by and cancer, I pesticide, him. cancer, pest, you know, and I admire him. I admire Cory Booker. And this is the stuff that makes me so sad because I think that he is a really smart guy. Um, and it's, it's frustrating that this is a, this is a, a path he's chosen to actually go and advocate against <laughs> he advocates against reasonable use of pesticides and he doesn't have the science and i think he's a very smart guy and i think it's unfortunate yeah you can tell when you um hear him speak about any of these issues he doesn't really know much about it he's thinking in platitudes and he's just sort of appealing to you know part of his voting voting base i yep. think um and but one one interesting thing Amanda points out in his story is that he seems to be, and and again he not to not to get partisan but he is to the left politically speaking he tends to be in favor of big government programs and you know lots of intervention in the society and so forth but here he's this champion of federalism right mm-hmm. he wants to say you can't trust the EPA you know this big powerful multi billion dollar uh, <laughs> uh, institution oh, that, yeah right. Yeah, it's been around for 40 plus years and it has to thoroughly evaluate every pesticide, every chemical really that you have access to. Mm-hmm. Forget about them, right? Let's let's have these local and state regulations. And no disrespect to people at the state and local level, they're important. But it is entertaining to for, see that least, switch. For, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to see, to see yeah, that it's like then. it's like all of a sudden and I think his he said something to the effect of, you know, these people are really close to it. They have their boots on the ground whereas the EPA is way over here in DC or Silver Springs, Maryland or wherever they are. And um there you go. So yeah. I, I thought that was sort of cute. He's like It's interesting how that works. Thomas Jefferson on pesticides. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's unfortunate, though, because I, I well, first of all, you can't have a different label for every state or or, lo, or locality, so that makes a big, huge problem. So there's some there's some room for um, 
you know, it, it, all of these pesticides are heavily tested, regulated, and so if people use them the right way, they're not going to get hurt. And they're so critical for food security and public health. And I wish people could hear that. I wish Cory Booker could realize how how uh, important this is for public health. Um, you know, everybody lived to 45 years old uh, in 1900, and we make it almost to 80 now because of because of food security and pesticides and vaccines and antibiotics and water sanitation. And so I, I don't understand why there's such a focus on dismantling these things because they're very, very important. Yeah. That's the paleo lifestyle, everyone. Yeah. Old age of 45, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, that's right. get a cut, die from an <laughs> that, infection. <laughs> yep. That's exactly right. Um, one other thing before we move on that Amanda points out, I think we need to discuss is that, and EWG does this with everything is they take up a position and they say it's for the children. And then whoever is arguing with them is in the unenviable position of having to say, no, it's not right. Like, like you're already on the defensive. You're already back on your heels and they're doing it again here where they're saying, what? So you want your kids, you want our kids exposed to pesticides at school. What's wrong with you, Liza? What are you, some kind of barbarian with toxicology degree is in your fancy white coat? Like, you know. Yeah. Um, and my comeback is, so you want your kid to get Shigilla and you want yeah. your kid to, you don't want cockroaches all over your kid's food. You want some rats in there? How about some rats and mice in your kid's schools? You know, the rats carry plague and so do fleas. And, you know, it's endemic to Southern California. And the reason why you don't have big outbreak of plague it's because you have pesticides yeah yeah that's very so, important and I, yes i don't want ahead. my kid to die of an infectious disease that's entirely preventable see that's a great way to turn it around too like what you want you want your kid to die of cancer i'm like no but i also don't want them to die of a disease that we can prevent right <laughs> so, exactly right okay. we've been able to prevent this for you know I don't know, almost a hundred years now. <laughs> yep. And you're trying to take away the tools that we do it with. That's yep. the scary part to me. So mm-hmm. that seems to be the best response to that kind of argument is just to go, well, I'll defend pesticides at schools because there's nothing wrong with it, you know? So yep. just take their dumb, scaremongering approach and throw it out the window. Okay. Final story here. As I said earlier, our good friend RFK Jr. is back. He seems to be, I, I don't know how to put it, like he's taking a break from the campaign trail sort of to do his anti-vaccine advocacy again. Mm-hmm. Um, so this piece, this is originally by uh, Brandy Zadrozny, writing for NBC. RFK Jr. accuses drug companies of ignoring chronic diseases to focus on money-making infectious conditions like measles and COVID, vows to reverse NIH policies if elected. So just really quick here. He's uh, the story is about a children's health defense event, which is the anti-vaccine group. They're like the I don't know. They're like the Nike of anti-vaccine activists. They are they're just they're just everywhere, and he he's been their chief counsel and their chief executive op, uh, officer, whatever, for uh, t- uh, seven or eight years now. So mm-hmm. this has been his his vehicle for all this silliness, and he's kind of going through what needs to happen to right our ship and you know, get, get medical freedom back in America or something. I'm not sure, but he says we need to take an eight year break from infectious disease research. Um, He's threatening to sue uh, medical and science journals for retracting studies related to ivermectin because he says that's an effective COVID treatment and that information was suppressed. 
So, you know, evil monsters like Eliza could make a little extra money selling you new <laughs> vaccines. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, by the way. <laughs> don't take that seriously if you're out there. Some people yeah. don't have a sense of humor. Uh, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, but he adorably attacked pharma for being greedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the, the NBC article, as they are you know, inclined to do just because I think he's sort of like an alternative independent candidate is, you know, he's big and scary. We have our two, two guys, the reds and the blues. You get to pick either one. If you go offside, you go outside of the sandbox. Very, very scary for them. Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yes. You know, all of, all of Kennedy's craziness aside, which we'll talk about. Um, uh, NBC says he's polling at 22% at the time of this story's publication. And that's that's surprisingly high. So I think Biden is in the low 30s. Trump's at like 39% in terms of the, the amount of voters who are saying, yeah, I'm going to pull the lever for this guy. Um, so he's in the race. You know, is he going to win? Probably not. I'm not sure. I mean, who knows? But um, th- their concern is that he's out there and this message is gaining traction post-COVID and he is a big name. So if there's he anyone is a that big can, name. yeah, anyone who can make this work, it, it's him. So uh, what, what do you think here? He, well, first of all, he is a big name and he's pulling voters from both sides <laughs> because the left likes a whole environmental focus and a, a, a pretty significant proportion of the left also started the anti-vaccine movement, right? So they, they were the, they were the, the beginners. And then he's pulling the anti-vaccine folks from the, from the right as well. So he's pulling people away from both, both parties, which should tell you, tell people just something in general when they're entrenched in their uh, political worldviews. Maybe they need to find a candidate that is in the middle um, and, and not make have have such polarizing candidates wind up running i think because that winds up being being problematic and that's why he's able to pull, pull attract these uh, these uh, folks um other than that I, you know i think it's uh, really unfortunate that uh a lot uh, that people will not uh discuss people of stature will not have a debate with him and i know that you know he's not a scientist he's not this that and the other but he is having he's he's able to project um a narrative that is not being adequately countered um and i i think that uh we really need to once again step up to the plate the election's not far away and we want to make sure that the best information is getting out there. So I think that there, there needs to be an avenue for very good scientific communication where serious people can counter what he's saying. Peter Hotez is trying to, um, but nobody's willing to take him on. Now, it may be that's because he's a trial attorney and people are afraid of lawsuits. And that's another thing that's actually very real um, in the United States. If you can't have a debate in good faith without fear, fear of getting sued on either side, that's a, that's an issue. Um, and so that may be driving some of it. Um, you know, I think that uh, it's, it's just, it's just a really interesting time to, to be watching this stuff unfold. Um, and it's it's concerning about how much disinformation people can propagate that goes unchallenged. Uh, now, in terms of the him talking about suing um, uh, journals uh, and over things like ivermectin, there's been disinformation published in both sides, right? Um, 
and true disinformation published on both sides. So Andrew Wakefield publishing his article in The Lancet, and that didn't get retracted for 12 years despite overwhelming conflicts of interest and then it being truly fraudulent. Um, that's, that's a problem. And The Lancet then turns around and, uh, you know, uh, publishes a completely false study on hydroxychloroquine. Now, I don't think hydroxychloroquine works for COVID, but when you publish an article in a top-tier journal that turns out to be absolutely fraudulent and you go after the people who disagree with you on that, you completely undermine trust. So I can understand why uh, he would talk about wanting to hold journals accountable, but you know, that, that journal, that, that particular journal actually plays both ways, right? right. It, it publishes, it publishes what it likes to publish. And um, so he might like some of the environmental stuff that they say that's completely wrong. Um, and, he, but he doesn't like the pro vaccines. Well, they started the anti-vaccine movement, but he doesn't like there's, you know, going to pro vaccines. You can find this in all of these different journals have, have have problematic studies and problematic claims because a lot of medical journals got politicized during COVID. Um, and so the, the race to get to be right, as opposed to have good information, I think blinded people. Um, right. And so uh, I think it undermined medicine and I think it uh, is important for us to figure out how to go forward from here to make sure that the best information, best scientific information is getting published. Um, so uh, that's kind of an all over the place answer to that question, but there's so, so much to unpack there. Yeah. Well, I'll, let me say this. If you'll put it in writing that you won't sue us, then uh, come on our podcast. Liza has already said she will, de she'll debate RFK Jr., or Steve Kirsch. Oh, you've, you've debated. I him. have debated Steve Or uh, Robert Malone, who refused to debate you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? he's, he stomped off stage, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, what was he uh, What was he selling? Over-the-counter clot buster or something? What, oh, no, that's was... that's Peter McCullough, who stayed on stage. Oh, excuse but very, me. Excuse so I've me. talked to Peter McCullough, who stayed on stage but got very quiet when I started talking and then didn't really have a whole lot to say after he had, he'd waxed lyrical about all this stuff until I came up. And then... When I started talking about, you know, over-the-counter fibrinolytics, that's kind of sounds like that should be FDA regulated because has there been a double-blind controlled randomized study right. <laughs> on that? And how many head bleeds were there? And he's he got very, very quiet. And then Robert Malone said, well, I'm not going to talk to an ER doctor. And I said, well, I'm a medical toxicologist too. And he flipped out and wound up stomping off the stage. And then I debated Steve Kirsch. And I, I'm happy to talk to people, but I think that there needs to be needs to be transparency. And I also think there needs to be, you need to take the lawsuits out of it. Sure. Yeah, I, I hadn't considered that. So yeah, if if you'll put it in writing that you won't sue us or GLP, <laughs> then then <laughs> let's have the let, let's have the discussion because uh, or our company or you know all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who who whomever. Yeah, no lawsuits. If you just want to talk, that's great. That's right. And we'll record it and then we're gonna put it online and you're gonna. I'm just kidding. It's gonna go great for you. Come, come on and argue <laughs> with Eliza. It's gonna go great. She's not. She's not very good at at talking about vaccines. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so back to the back to the story here. Uh, let's see what uh, what else do we need to talk about? The, the, 
the pharma, pharma bad, pharma greedy thing um, is just ridiculous for a number of reasons. The first is that uh, he's a tort lawyer. You know, he litigates yes. for a living. And that, I think people lose sight of that because of his, his name. And he just, the yes. name has this aura, like the Kennedy. Like, Camelot. Like, right. You think he would like, he rides around on a horse and fights bad. It just sort of has that, that connotation to it. But the reality is he's, a, he's an environmental tort lawyer. So he finds companies and he finds, um, you know, different, uh, different towns and cities and he files lawsuits. Yep. Uh, and then he, he wins a lot. He's a, he's a good litigator. But he was um, involved in the in uh, litigation related to a pesticide, and he was working with the firm that was gathering all the cases yep. and was litigating the most high profile cases um, in in a in a federal court, no no in a state court excuse me that was that leaned in the direction of pesticides or bat, yep. you know, and he made a killing, and I yep. and oh yeah whole, it's a they, business they all. Yeah. They all made it. It's, it's a whole industry. Dr. David Zarek talks a lot about this, right? Yeah. The, the, it's, this, it's this litigation complex. Um, so all that to say, it's just adorable for him, of all people, to call anybody. <laughs> and, greedy. you know, the pharmaceutical companies, if you think about it, spend all of the vast majority of their research on non-communicable diseases, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, these chronic diseases, he's saying that they, that we're not focused on. They, they totally are focused on them. What's, what's the biggest sell? What are the, the biggest sellers? The biggest sellers are statins for, uh, you know, uh, lowering your uh, cholesterol level so you don't have a heart attack. Um, they, they're, you know, this, this new weight loss stuff, you know, right? Ozempic and Govi and, you know, those, uh, those are for, you know, weight loss and diabetes and things like that. So pharmaceutical companies aren't making a, like, a, a killing off of vaccines and off of, uh, and off of antibiotics. They're making much more money researching and developing drugs for chronic diseases. So that that's patently false what he's saying. Yeah. The other thing about this, I, this argument goes back so long. I don't know who came up with it, but I, I'd like to go back in time and slap them for this. But there is so much money and so much prestige in a cure for some of these conditions, you know? So like if you could, you know, like I don't, I'm not even going to give an example, but if you could cure some chronic long-term condition, there's so much money to be made and yep. you would, you would go down in history as the pharma company that cured whatever. Yep. You know what I mean? And I, what I'm willing to bet is, is the technology that you would have to develop or the, you know, whatever platform for that drug, whatever you'd have to develop, that would reap benefits in the future. You would be able yes. to design more drugs. You know what I mean? So there would just be an ocean of money to yes. be earned if you could cure one of these. That's so exactly I just right. find I just find it kind of silly when people are like, well, you know, see back in the lab there, you know, they've got this guy named Billy and he's got the vaccine for cancer, but they <laughs> don't let Billy out of the lab because Billy would ruin all their, their profit making. It's just. Yeah, it's exactly right. But they but they will gladly accept supplements. There is a doctor on Twitter that talks about. Um, how many COVID patients she's treat, treated, and they've all lived. Um, and she, it's, her, her bill for treat. If you can go to websites, you can see how much they charge. 
to to get some IV vitamins and some quote-unquote ozone and just ridiculous stuff. And people actually, she's got a huge following, um, and people actually believe what she's saying, but they won't believe the people who are actually developing the life-saving drugs that brought us an unprecedented improvement in health and well-being um, who are not, you know, doing this just just for money. They want they have kids that they want to make sure are able to be treated for diseases too. So the scientists and pharmaceutical companies get unfairly tagged. Um, whereas you know the uh, snake oil salesmen are have a, a halo. Yeah, yeah. It's very silly. It, it's a it's um. There's one writer I really like, but he he puts it as um, there are justified and unjustified groups of people. And everyone has this, right? You have your narrative about good and bad. You know, this is the science I like. I don't like this science. I don't like this theory. I love this theory, whatever. But the point is, you apply rigorous standards to people you dislike. And you and you excuse... I really upset Liza's dog with that with that observation. Um, and then when, when, when your team does the same thing, you excuse it, right? So, so if pharma makes money, well, obviously pharma loves money and they're evil. But if the guy that you take or take advice from makes fifty million dollars selling supplements and you know phony COVID drugs, well, I mean the guy's got our living, right? I mean, what's wrong with you? Don't be so unreasonable. So, it's uh, it's just kind of funny. It's it's, it's a, a double, double standard. standard. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. Let's let's we can wrap up here. One thing I do just in general find amusing is that. When it comes to the mainstream press, whether it's NBC or CNN or whomever, they hate the pharmaceutical industry until someone like Kennedy is involved. You know, so they'll push every dumb chemical scare, like we were talking about earlier. Um, and David Ropik, who's a risk perception expert, he I think he was at Harvard for a long time. He wrote about this. Um, the media for years pushed the anti-vaccine narrative, and they never yep. came out and said we are skeptical of vaccines. But they gave a platform to people like Kennedy. Yep. Um, and um, when um, oh, what's his name? You just talked about him. The guy who got his medical license pulled. Uh, At Wakefield. Wakefield's, yeah, yeah, just a brain fart. They interviewed him. They quoted him, and the framing was always like, you know, here's the medical establishment, but you know, there's these outside doctors, and they're a little worried about what's happening here. And that went on for decades. Yep. And then all all of a sudden, we get to to the COVID era. And everyone gets their marching orders, which they kind of did, as we talked about with Twitter, yep. right? Everyone was told, right? All, all right-thinking people love pharmaceutical companies and especially these, these vaccines. And that's fine. The COVID vaccines are great. I'm not, not insinuating anything. But now it's like NBC and these groups or these other press outlets, they're like, this guy's, this guy's crazy, right? He doesn't like pharma companies? I mean, like what kind of a moron would you have to be to, to, to you know, it's... Well, and they've then, of been course, doing the same the thing media's... to ag companies too. So yes. you know, forever. And the, and the, and it's when it when when it turns around and all food prices go up for ordinary people, they're like, "What? We like we like farmers." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's yeah. The, the consequences of what they what they're doing without and that's a problem. In the ag space is a little bit the same thing that we're talking about in Twitter about Twitter earlier. In the ag space there's not enough people who are. You've got people who are working, so they don't have the time. They're actually trying to grow your food. They don't have the time to spend doing all this 
discussion so you can have, you know, consumers understand this stuff. Same thing with people who are working in pharmaceutical companies, same thing with people who are doctors. Everybody who's working with their heads down are not participating in the conversation. People who are participating in the conversation often have an agenda, and so they tend to be polarized. Um, and then the media laps that up because they want to sell papers. And so instead of having a kind of, let's, let's talk about this rationally, uh, we have the situation that we find ourselves in now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good point to bring around, you know, because they're like, oh, there's all this misinformation on Twitter. Bah, 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 bah. Read mm-hmm. our fact checkers, four Pinocchios to this guy. It's like you guys print utter garbage on a weekly <laughs> yeah. basis, and then when people point it out to you, you either ignore it because I do this a lot. Mm-hmm. They either ignore it or they say, "Well, you're shill." Like, yes, that's exactly right. It's that's, like, that's you know, you know, regardless of that accusation you are bad at math. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like fix that, right? Fix yep. your, fix your claim. And then we can talk about, you know, my, uh, my conflicts or lack thereof, right? Just. That's okay. exactly right. Anyways, I love the media is what I'm saying, everyone. I really love their, <laughs> they do a great job. Bang up job guys, Washington post, CNN. Love you guys. Yep. Very, very good. <laughs> okay. The sarcasm com- comes uh, extra on the weekends, everyone. So, all right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, thank right. you for joining us as always. Follow us on Twitter in the meantime at Dr. Liza MD on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, at Cam J English, at Genetic Literacy on Twitter, and then geneticliteracyproject.org. Thank-, thank you to them as always. They give us this platform, it's their stories to talk about, and they let us say whatever we want, which is awesome. Which I like free awesome. speech. Yes, me too. And with that, we'll be back next time for 245. Have a good Have week. a good weekend. <laughs>